Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. We've been talking about our theme, Finding True North, Living a Christ-Centred Life. We've preached our way around the compass and kind of unpacked a lot of what it means for us to be us and all of that. And I want to keep the the compass theme alive longer as we launch a series within our theme. I started thinking if we're going to talk about living a Christ-centered life, then we need to unpack what that actually means and looks like a little bit. So I've started a new series and the new series is called Discover. I'm going to look at a whole bunch of things for us to discover in this God-centered life, things like wisdom, spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit. Today I want to start by talking about maturity. When I was younger, I I used to do a a lot of hiking with my friends. In New Zealand we call it tramping, and I said to Kerry, do you call it tramping here? And she said, don't use that word. It probably isn't an appropriate thing to talk about in church. So we were hiking. Now, hiking in New Zealand is, is... can be quite a dangerous pastime. Sure, we, we don't have drop bears waiting to, to get you when you're not watching. The, the big killer in New Zealand when you're hiking is the weather. It, it's very unpredictable and it can become a real problem real fast. We, we never did kind of massive walks. The, the longest I think we went on was kind of a four-day walk and uh, the kind of walk where you've got to carry everything with you. Yep, there might be a hut, there might not be a hut. So everything kind of came on. And, and I remember this one particular walk I went on with, with two friends. And we'd, we'd done a, a, a lot of planning. It was uh, right at the end of winter. And, and we were desperate to, to get a walk in. And so we'd, we'd picked this beautiful part of the South Island called Arthur's Pass right in the middle. It's all hills and trees and forests and scrub. It was just gorgeous. And so we, we did all that planning. We'd worked our meals out. We, it was important that we ate well while we walked. So I always carried more weight than I needed to necessarily because I wanted good food. And so we, we'd done the walk, we'd, uh, the planning. We'd lodged our plans with the appropriate authorities in case something went wrong. And we started out on this walk. And the first day to, to this hut should have been about a five-hour walk. So it, it was, wasn't a bad day's walking. And so we, we, we set off up this hill, and, and about halfway up, we crossed the snow line a lot earlier than we were expecting to cross the snow line. We, in fact, we weren't expecting snow to even be at the hut. And so we carried on walking, and it took a few hours longer than we would have expected because now we're walking through snow. And so we arrived at this hut, and I'm now knee-deep in snow. And, and we, we've gone into the hut, and it was just the most gorgeous place for a walk like it was cold like we actually spent 36 hours in our sleeping bags shivering going we're having such a good time we're having such a good time because all the wood was wet we couldn't get the fire started and and I'm going this is awesome this is the best walk I've ever done and I literally shivered for 36 hours but the best part of this whole thing was the toilet now I wouldn't normally you don't normally think the toilet's awesome but there was actually a toilet well it was a long drop but it was a toilet and it was separated from the hut. And so you, you walked for about a minute and you got to this toilet and it was facing the opposite direction of the hut. They thought it through. And so there was no one else apart from me and the two friends in the hut. And so I was able to use the toilet with the door open. 
The reason for that is the view was absolutely spectacular. Snow-covered mountains. It was the view out from the toilet, not... Settle down, you lot. So that, it was incredible. It's the best toilet I have ever used as far as view goes in my entire life. And I just sat there going, this is incredible. It wasn't all I was doing, but that, you get the point. And, and, and so we, we eventually, after 36 hours, we thought, this is ridiculous, we need to go. So packed up our stuff and, and started what we thought might take us about eight hours to walk out, which is now a decent day's walk in the snow with packs on our back. And as we were walking down, it started snowing. And it was about that point I realised we probably should not have gone on this walk. And there's probably a reason why this 20-bed hut is empty apart from us. It's now dangerous. And as I'm walking down, I slipped and I, I rolled my ankle. And we had kind of no other options at that point. There wasn't phone reception. I could have lay there and let someone walk out and get a helicopter. That would have been fine. But I just, I strapped my ankle up, I sucked it up, and we just spent hours and hours and hours walking out. And it was miserable. And I had no sense of enjoyment. I've got very bad memories of that trip, apart from the toilet, which was just awesome. And I would do it again. I should tell you, we should all go and have a trip to this toilet. You'd love it. I wish I'd had a photo this morning. I went Googling to try and find a photo for you this morning. I couldn't find one. But anyway, I, we eventually got out and, and got home and, and recovered and all of that. And, and I, I have never forgotten that trip because I thought at one point we were going to die. And it was so cold and so miserable. But I learned an incredible lesson on that trip. While I was walking and I was not enjoying myself, and it was hurting, and it was miserable, and, and pack on my back, and I'm staring at my feet, and I'm trudging down this hill. And it's, I stopped at one point, I needed a rest, and I lifted my eyes off the trail, off my feet, and I looked around, and I realized what an incredible place we were in. It was absolutely stunning. It was so beautiful. The snow-covered forests, the New Zealand forests are a bit different. We got a lot of beech and pine trees, and the beech trees in New Zealand uh, often have a fungus around them, black beech, and, and they're just divine, especially when they're covered in snow. And I, I just stopped in that moment, and I looked at everything around me and went, wow. And I'd spent the whole journey trudging with my eyes down at my feet, missing everything that was going on around me. And I realised at that moment, and it changed the way I hiked from then on, it wasn't about the destination. It was always about the journey. It was about what was going on around me. And when I lifted my eyes off my feet and got away from the, the, the suffering that I was going through, my pain and discomfort lessened, the, the, the lack of enjoyment disappeared because I suddenly realised, oh my goodness, God has given us an incredibly beautiful planet. And I began to enjoy the walk. And I reckon sometimes the parallel for us in our spiritual journey is we get so focused on the destination, heaven, coming of Jesus, that we miss the point of the journey along the way. And when we stop and we realise the beauty of the journey that we're on, I reckon change and transformation can take place in our lives. And, and some of the things that, that we're weighing us down, the, the pack on our back, the sprained ankle, all of that, I think that the pain of that journey begins to lessen a bit as we recognise the beauty of what is actually taking place around us. And it changed me forever. Now when I, I go on walks, I, I make sure I keep my eyes up and I, I 
enjoy. I now take a camera with me because it forces me to focus on all the beauty that's going on around me. When we learn to embrace the journey, the harsh realities of the pain of life can begin to fade a bit. Our perspective changes. I talk a lot about the, the twin purposes of, of the cross. If you've been here for a while, you, you'll hopefully understand this language. We talk about the, the vertical part of the cross being the transaction. That's the work of the cross. That's what Jesus Christ accomplished. It's what we talked about in communion this morning. When he died on that cross, he took our junk and we got his blessing. He took the sin and the weight of sin of the world upon his shoulders so that we could experience the grace and the righteousness of God, that we could come before the throne of God, the temple veil torn in two. That was the work of the cross. And then we talk about the crossbar being transformation, the way of the cross. That's what happens from the, the moment the transaction takes place in our life. It's not the end of the story. If that was all that mattered with becoming a Christian, then when, when we became a Christian, we could just go straight off to heaven and mission accomplished, we've arrived. But we haven't arrived because this life we live is preparation for eternity. God is doing a work in our lives. There's a work of transformation to take place. We're becoming different people transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's what we talk about when we talk about living a Christ-centered life, this plan of transformation. The Bible uses a very specific metaphor when it's talking about this kind of thing. There's a Pharisee called Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not just any Pharisee. Nicodemus is like the head teacher in Israel. He's a really important person in the Jewish system. And he comes and has a conversation with Jesus at night, the Bible tells us. We don't know the specific reasons, but we can draw some conclusions from that. It wasn't kosher for the Jewish hierarchy to be speaking with this rebel upstart Jesus. And a lot of the conversations that Jesus had with Jewish people, especially those in, in positions of authority, happened at night because they could do it without being noticed or seen. They could come and have a quiet conversation with Jesus. And so Nicodemus approaches Jesus and they begin to have a conversation. And as this conversation's unfolding, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is confused by this. He's like, how can I enter my mother's womb again and be born again? And Jesus says some words. He says, I, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. This idea of being born again is throughout the whole New Testament. In fact, the New Testament writers continue this idea of being born again and the process that takes place after that. Being born again is the transaction. It's the beginning. Maturity, the, the growth process, is transformation. That's what follows because we're called to both be alive in the Lord and to live for the Lord. See the difference? We're called into relationship with Christ, but we're called to live for him as well. So this morning, I, I, I want to do some uh, preach in probably a way I've never preached before and may never preach again because it might not work. I don't know. We'll soon find out. I, this is about as teachy as I ever get as far as unpacking things go. But there are five specific words in the Greek, in the New Testament, that the Bible uses as a metaphor or to carry this metaphor of being born again on. Uh, the five words are uh, nepios, 
Pedion, Technon, Huios, and Telios. Five Greek words. And, and, and the, the idea of those Greek words is that it starts at the top as an infant. And then we move through to a, a child through to teenage years. So in the, in the Jewish system, a Pedion would be a, a young person that hasn't yet reached their bar mitzvah. They're, they're kind of up to about the age of 12. They haven't had their bar mitzvah yet. And after the bar mitzvah, they would become a, a Technon, which will We'll unpack this as we go, but is that uh, apprenticing process they go through, learning the father's business, all of that, through to Huios, which is a, a mature Christian, and Telios, one that uh, none of us will probably ever achieve, is perfection. And the Bible uses the illustration of a Jewish child growing up into maturity as an explanation for the transformation that should take place in our life. Paints the picture of this little baby growing into a child, through to a teenage young adult, through to a, an adult living their own life, through to this phase of being perfect and, and mature. So the purpose of, of this this morning and how I'm going to go about this is I'm just going to talk about each of these five stages to hopefully give us a little bit of insight into where you might be in this process because every one of us in the room is somewhere in this process. And being able to identify where we are can often lead us to identifying what our next steps are. Once we know kind of what this process is, and, and that because the New Testament is full of this language and full of this, this illustration of this maturity and growth, when we actually start reading some of these passages now, we might think to look a little deeper because it's talking about specific things. And I want us to kind of begin to find out maybe where you are and then each stage I'll have a key thought about how perhaps we can maximise that stage if we're in it or move through to the next stage. So we start with Napios. It's a, it's, next slide, please. So the, the, the phrase there is infant. So each of the five that I'll talk about will have a slide very similar to this. It's the idea of this newborn baby. What are some characteristics of a newborn baby? Yes, Neil. Can your newborn, beautiful little boy, can he speak yet? No, is he walking? Can he feed himself? Can he change himself? No, right, we know this. And an infant, this newborn, is completely reliant on others for everything. Now, I just heard stories, Leanne, that you're all over the press at the moment. Your husband dobbed you in. You're on the TV. All the whole, like, you're a celebrity in our midst, delivering the Panthers babies. It's like these little Panthers that come out, and, and you're the midwife. And it, completely reliant, right? We understand that about a baby. This is the description that the Bible uses when someone becomes a Christian, a brand-new Christian. They're this infant. They're reliant on other people for just about everything that needs to take place in their faith. There's a couple of key verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. This is Paul talking. And thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. That, that word child there is that word Napios. That's what Paul is saying in this particular passage. When I was an infant, I spoke, I thought, that's who I was. There's another thought. 
1 Corinthians, Paul again speaking, chapter 3 and verse 1 to 3. Now, the context of, of this book is that Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a church that Paul has established, and he's writing to them. And this is what he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you, sorry, I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? So this is the, the language that Paul, see that the milk and solids. It's using the, that, the language of feeding the infant in a way of saying, Paul wants to talk to them about deeper things. He wants them to understand more, but the reality is they're not ready yet. There is infant children and they need to be fed milk. This is a great stage for someone when they become a Christian. I hope you've all, at some point in your life, had the privilege of leading someone to the Lord or, or, or being around someone who's just become a Christian. There's this excitement of, of realisation of, of forgiveness of sin and all of that. And some of you who became a Christian later in life may, may remember the, the joy that you felt in this moment. There, there's, the positive is there is just so much to discover about God. It's like your eyes are open to a whole new world. I... I for me, I grew up in a Christian home, and in many ways, I, I don't have a deep revelation of, of what this is like because all I've known is the church. But when you haven't been in the church, and then you discover Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins and all of this thing, it's an incredible journey that you've begun. But there's also some negatives when we're in this phase. We actually know very little about God. We just, you just don't know. You don't know a whole lot about anything. And what an infant needs in the natural is nurturing and care. And that's what an infant in the, in the Christian world needs as well. Some of you in this room may very well be really early in your journey. And you need, we need as, as mature Christians to help people on that journey to help them discover more about God and what it means to, to, to live this life and, and what that looks like. And there's a key thought for this category. And the key thought is obey God and his word in all things. That's the key. If you're, if you're in that category, if you're just starting out there, just learn as much about God's word as it can, you can and do your best to obey what God says. And the second category is Padion. This is someone in, in the age kind of... Next one, please, Keith. Getting there, okay. In that age, kind of 2 to 12. They're, they're no longer an infant. They're, they're kind of starting to, to grow up uh, a, a little bit. And there's something that I've discovered as a parent of three kids in this age. Jordan's almost beyond this, but one of the things, when I stop and think about this age and the joy that it is being a parent of kids in this age group, is that it's a challenge at times because they're starting to exert their own will, right? They don't like always being told what to do. Isn't that true, Jordan? Yeah. In fact, 
that, that there's a sense of beginning to push boundaries, and that's entirely appropriate. It's what should happen in this stage. It's part of growing up. It's part of understanding that you're not permanently attached to your mother, that you are a separate being, that you can make your own decisions, and, and it's part of growth and maturity. And what a child in this stage needs is guidance and boundaries, right? I, I, I've met so many kids, unfortunately, over my time who have not had parents that gave them discipline or boundaries that were appropriate or guidance in that. And these kids can do whatever they want and they run amok and they grow into become adults that aren't wonderful people to be around. Right? We, we all, you, you'll know examples of kids that just haven't had boundaries. That's exactly what we need when we're in this stage. There's a, there's a verse that Jesus used when he's talking about this. He says, I tell you the truth, this is Matthew 18, 3, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, Padeon, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that we actually need to become children. We need to, spiritually he's talking about here, become like these little children that suddenly there's this world to explore. And there's this world outside the four walls of their house and there's all these exciting things to go out and do and experience. And I don't want mum and dad telling me what to do quite as much as before. But there's some incredible positives in this stage because what an incredible opportunity to get to know God as Father. That's what a child in that 2 to 12 age needs. They need their parents. They begin to learn who their parents are and understand that their parents aren't perfect, but there's this journey of discovery for their parent. We as children of God can begin to discover in this stage who God is. There's this whole world out there and there's this God that wants to be our father. And the other thing that is a real positive about this stage is it's a really good opportunity to begin to serve in the church family, to begin to get involved and begin to learn and discover all our kids have jobs to do, tasks, they all help out around the house. It's part of being a part of a family. And that's what this stage is about, learning to be part of the family of God. But there's some negatives in this thing as well. There can be some issues, and I've alluded to them a little bit. In this category, and people can have a really strong will. Really just, I, I don't want to be told what to do. It's true of kids, and it can be true of Christians and, and, and our spiritual journey as well. Don't tell me what to do. I'm doing this for myself. And in this stage, there's a really strong pull to the old way of life. We haven't established spiritual practices or habits in our life yet. We, we're still really learning and discovering. And this is the stage that most Christians fall out in. Someone becomes a Christian, they discover God, they begin this journey, and then they, they begin to learn a little bit. But the tug, the pull from the world can be really strong. And most that walk away, walk away in this stage. And the real key for us is to develop a relationship with God through worship, the word, and prayer. That's the key if you're in this stage. If you're, you've perhaps, the first stage, if we're talking practical terms in a Christian's life, can last a few months. This can last some years. 
It doesn't have to. But the, the real key is beginning to, to build a relationship with God. That's what's going to help you grow and mature, learning to worship, learning to read God's word, learning to spend time in prayer. And I should have premised all this before I started and I didn't. The, this, these categories have got nothing to do with how long you've been in church, right? It's got nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian because you could have been in church 50 years and still sitting firmly in this stage or more likely the next stage. But there are also people that I've seen that have, that have discovered God and their growth and maturity happens so fast. So it's got nothing to do with the amount of time that you spend in each category. Now, next category, please, Keith. Technon. That's the person in the age 13 to 25-ish. So in, in the Jewish culture, they've, they've had their bar mitzvah and they move into a process and often uh, of learning the father's business. We see it in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus, what did he do for an occupation? Carpenter. Jesus learned his father's trade. Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus, as a 13-year-old boy, would have begun to train as a carpenter. And the process would go that they would learn through this period, 13 to kind of 25-ish, sometimes around 30, with the goal that they would take over the family business. Dad would stop working. The child would then take over the family business and continue from there. That was the Jewish system. They had a... Like we do, an apprenticeship system. Some would uh, go through because through that that period prior to the mitzvah, they'd be learning all the spiritual bits and learning the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, how to recite the majority of that and what all that spiritual journey meant. And some of them would apprentice to a Pharisee or a Jewish leader and, and begin that, that process of, of becoming a, a spiritual leader in their community. But the majority of the kids that didn't go down that path would learn the family business. Another example was, is Paul. Do you know what Paul did? For He was a tent maker. So whenever he went and ministered the gospel, often he would make tents and raise money to, to support and fund himself as he went. There's some key scriptures around this. Luke chapter 22, 24 to 26. And they began to argue among themselves about... Uh, sorry, but they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. This is the disciples. So when Jesus left the disciples, when... He, the crucifixion happened, the disciples were in this category. This is where they were when Jesus left. Just to give you an example of their progress. Three years with Jesus, teaching and training and equipping them, and they were firmly in this category. And so Jesus is talking to them. They were arguing about who would be the greatest. Jesus said, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. You, yet they are called friends of the people, but among you it will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. And then he goes on in John 13, 33. Dear children, that's that word technon, I will only be with you a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I give you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So there's this whole apprenticeship thing going, right? A classic example in the New Testament, if you've read or understand a bit about the New Testament, is Paul and Timothy. 
Paul was the, the apostle going and planting churches and he took Timothy on the journey with him. And Timothy would come along and he would learn and he would follow Paul and grow. And then Paul would leave Timothy behind and say, I'm going on to the next place. Timothy, you're the man now. You look after this group of churches. You're in charge. Paul had taught him and apprenticed him and left him. And, and, and that's, the, I guess, the heart of this journey of being a technon. It's, it's the, the learning. And there's some incredible positives in this. In this area, there's, there can be really fast growth. Because suddenly we, we, we've got the basics down, we understand a little bit about this Christian journey, and then we begin to discover the, the revelations and the truth of who Jesus is and what the Bible's all about. In this area, we've got an increased capacity to learn, and we're actually now able to serve effectively. In the earlier stages, you can get involved, but you just don't know a whole lot about a whole lot, and that's fine. That's part of the process, but now you've begun to learn something, and and just to put you in the picture, probably the majority of the people in this room will be in this stage. The majority of Christians on the planet are in this stage of, of still learning and growing and discovering. The problem with this stage is we were never meant to stay there, but lots and lots and lots of Christians stay here. We were always meant to continue the process of maturity because there are actually some problems that can emerge in this stage. In fact, in my research, they said that the, the number one cause of splits in church is caused by people who are living in this stage and have stayed in this stage and are reacting out of this stage. And, and the negative from this stage is that they, people can think they know best. So the example is... Again, the, the, the apprentice thing, right? You're, you're ready to, you, you think you're ready to take over dad's business. You've been training. Come on, I know everything. It's time for you to get out of the way, Pops. I want the business. I want to run things. And they think they know how to run things, but they don't always know how to run things. They, they haven't had the experience and seen all the th things take place yet that, that we feel like we're ready. And it's like when you're training, right? If you've been training for something for a long time and, and you're coming to the end of your training, you just want to get into it. You just want to go. And that's what this stage is like. The people in, in the church world, we, we feel like we've got a handle on this. I've been a Christian a long time. I know what's what. I want to have control now. I want to, to start taking charge of things. And, and part of the problem as someone comes to, into the ends of this kind of phase is we, we stop being teachable because we think we know everything. We could see this if, if you've had kids grow up and they we reach that stage of going, I remember not wanting my parents to tell me what to do anymore. Or, I know all this. I've got this. I'm okay. I, I, this stage can become a real battle for us because, as I said, a lot of us are, are here. We, 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 we know enough to be dangerous. We've, we've learned a whole bunch of stuff along the way. And one of the keys to moving from this stage is taking control of a sense of pride and ego that lead us wanting to have it all our own way. As I said, the majority of church splits happen because someone goes, I know how to do this better than you. I'm trying to build my little bit of an empire, trying to take control of my little piece of the patch, and it becomes destructive and dysfunctional. 
another key thought here is we need to be trained for the work of serving God. We actually need to get involved as much as we can and learn along the way. And few of us move past this point because it actually requires intentional training or development. A lot of us will come and we'll sit on a Sunday and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we were never meant to be only doing that. This was never meant to be the full extent of your spiritual experience. It was meant to be a part of the thing. It's like the family gathering, right? That, that is often used in, in church language. It's like when the family get together for that Sunday lunch. I grew up having Sunday lunch and all the family get together and that's what this is supposed to be like. It doesn't mean that I don't talk to my family or communicate with them or think about them or have anything to do with them for the rest of the week because I've got Sunday coming. But sometimes that's how we live our faith. We show up here on a Sunday, we sing, we worship, we pray, we give, we go. And we don't think about it again until we arrive back in the next Sunday. And that's why the majority of people stay in the stage. To move from the stage that, that to, to becoming mature takes planning. It takes discipline. And that's why we, we talk about discipline, like actually setting aside a time to read our Bible and to pray and to spend time with God and allow God to begin to speak to our hearts and lives. And if you're in this stage, as I said, a lot of us will be in this room. If we're in this stage, it's the right time to stop and go, God, well, what is it in me that needs working on? What attitudes have I, I got that I still need to deal with? And I Transparency from your pastor. I worked one out this morning on my way to church. Someone cut me off terribly like I had to slam the brakes on to avoid an accident. Not what I want when I'm on my way to church because my blood got boiling and I shouted quite loudly. I didn't swear. It's okay. I've got that sorted. But I, I, I drove up beside them. I put my window down to make sure that they saw that they'd cut me off and I let them know what I thought of them. And then I went, okay, that's probably not ideal from a pastor on his way to church. So I've still got some things to deal with. The driver wouldn't look at me. He was like head down. The, the wife's looking at me like, what? Anyway, <clears throat> I attempted it. If I hadn't had to come to church, I'd have followed them for a while. No. <laughs> but we've... We've all got things, right? All of us have stuff to work on. I've got an anger issue, apparently, that I need to work on when I'm driving. Jordan's just smiling, going, Dad, it's so true. In this phase, the point is stopping and going, Holy Spirit, what is it in me that needs work? It's a great prayer to pray. God, show me the areas of my life that you want to work on. That's one of the great things in this Christian journey is we don't become a Christian and then God expects that we have it all worked out the next week. The church expects that we have it all worked out the next week. God will work on us in his timing. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to prompt us, to guide us, to put his finger on things and say, now it's time to deal with that. In his time, in his way. And all we have to do is submit to the journey, to take the time to say, God, what is it that you want to do in me? What is it you, you want to continue to work on? What changes do I need to make? Because we all need to grow. None of us in this room probably are perfect. Pat's pretty close. But, but we're, we're just, we're, most of us are not quite there. And that leads us through to the next part of the journey, Huios, the adult. In so many ways, this is the goal. This is where we want to get to. Yeah, I know there's another stage coming and I'll touch on that really briefly, but this is having reached 
spiritual maturity. Let me read the verse. Where are we? Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's the heartbeat of that word children there. Children of God is that word huios. Mature. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The, the, the hallmark of someone who has reached maturity is they're led by God. We, we, you have, there's a vibrant, alive spiritual relationship with God. We're embracing our spiritual gifts. We can become a leader of other people. There can be some negatives associated with this as well. Because growth is really slow when you're in this stage. In fact, it can, you can be in the stage the rest of your natural life. Sometimes a sense of pride can try to sneak back in. I've made it. I, I, I've, I've got my life sorted out. I, I, I'm, I'm good to go. But this stage and why this is such a goal for us is it's so effective when we're in this stage and what I want to encourage you, if some in this room have reached this stage, I want to say serve God as much as you can. Lead others as effectively as you can. Train others as well as you can. The, the beauty of, of, of the adult in this stage is that we can begin to replicate ourselves. We can teach people and train people, hey, this is what I do. This is, come and watch me. Paul, classic, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, or imitate God, sorry. Imitate me as I imitate Christ in that one. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's saying, just watch me. Copy me. Do what I do. Timothy, come with me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to train you. This is Paul, Huios, teaching Timothy, the disciple coming through, how to do things. And that's the key and why we actually want to get as many people through to this stage as we can because we can be so effective in helping bring others on the journey. A, a, a Huios, an adult, mature Christian can help a Napios, a Padion, a Technon grow and develop and discover the things of God. You know, one of the big indictments on, on the modern church is the lack of discipleship that happens. And, and I realise we're not great at it here. And it's, we're, we're working through what that might look like and how to be more effective at it. And one of the reasons for that is not many people in this room have ever probably been effectively discipled. Let's do a little survey. Put your hand up if you think that you have been well discipled in your life. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and a few half hands. See that? How shocking is that? And the reason that we don't disciple well is because we've never been discipled well. And I'm determined that we're going to break that cycle. I haven't got all the answers yet, but we've got to stop that. Because if we are going to be mature Christians, we need to be able to, to disciple people and bring them on. And if, if, if we're not mature Christians, we're probably not going to get there unless people who have already been through this stage can reach back and bring us on the journey with them. Finally, Talios, I'm just... Touching worship team, you can come join me, I guess. The, the stage there, that word actually means perfect. And, and the indication, uh, the verse around that is Matthew 5, 48. But you are to be perfect, teleos, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, teleos. That's what we're supposed to get. That's the, the standard that God's kind of calling us to. And you want to know how you know that you've reached that stage? 
That's it, right at that passage is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you can live all of the Sermon on the Mount, get it right all the time, you've reached this stage. Good news, Jesus will sort this out when he comes back again anyway. Right? Philippians 1, verse 6 says, He has begun a good work in us and be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a journey of transformation that God has called us on. All right, I've spoken way too long, so I'll stop. But short to say, because that made sense, short to say, <laughs> let me say this. I don't know what stage you're on. And actually, it's not better or worse to be on any stage as long as we're on the move. What we're not supposed to do is camp out in one of the stage for the rest of our life. We're not supposed to stay in that third stage forever, and it's so easy to do. And so if you're in that stage, I want to encourage you, start building some spiritual practices in your life. Learn what it is to pray regularly. Learn what it is to, to, to worship God on your own. Don't let this whole spiritual experience be Sunday because that's going to be a key for you moving to maturity. God, I thank you that you've actually designed us to grow and mature spiritually as we do in the natural. God, you've given us a very vivid picture of what that looks like. I thank you that you don't expect us to have it all worked out, but God, you expect us to be working on it. God, help us to be a people that embrace transformation, that are honest, honest enough to go, you know what, I do need to make some changes in my life. I do need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak and work to and through me. God, find us as people that are willing to hear your voice and respond. God, speak to us, I pray. Holy Spirit, in the remainder of the service and as we go from here, will you guide us and lead us and prompt us in maybe some areas of our life that we need to do change. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org